Amen. Isn't it good to be in the Lord's house today? Amen. Amen indeed. Take your Bibles, if you will, and go to a very familiar passage, Romans chapter 8. I'll give you all a guess at what verse. Nobody wants to guess. Everybody's asleep. 28. There you go. You told me though. Romans 8, 28. Some of my favorite verses right here. And uh, what we're going to share about today is what is the purpose of life? What's the purpose of your life? And, uh, you know, we read and, and hear books have been written about it, volumes of books have been written about it, newspaper articles, magazine articles, all kind of things, sermons, preaches about the purpose of life. So, I need to turn the microphone on. Thank you so much. Now you can hear me, right? Now you can hear me breathe. <coughs> Seems that the, the, the older I get, the fatter I get, the shorter I get the wind. So, <laughs> if you say I'm long winded, I tell you I'm not long winded. I'm, I'm definitely short winded these days. All right, what is the purpose of life? Um, I want you to uh, to think about that thought. We're going to read these three verses. We'll begin in Romans eight, uh, chapter eight, verse twenty-eight. The Scripture says that we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. To them who are the call according to his purpose. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate. Ah, there's that word. Uh, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, then he also called. And whom he called, then he also justified. And whom he justified, then he also glorified. Now, let me, let me kind of give it this slide here for a minute. We're not going to have a uh, sermon on predestination this morning per se, but uh, predestination is a topic that, that, that men have discussed and are still discussing, and, and they're going to be discussing until Jesus comes and raptures the church out, and some will probably be discussing it even after that, some to our religious folks that are left behind. But here's the thing. Uh, I believe that all of us are predestined. I really do. I believe that God created man in his image. We're going to look at some of that in just a minute. But God created man in his image, and his predestination for us is that we be like Christ. Okay? Now keep that thought in mind, because there are those who, I don't want you to get twisted up and think, well, you know, predestination means only certain ones can be saved. And some people teach and preach and believe that. I disagree with them. I believe that uh, the gospel is free to all. It's open to all. And uh, as we spread the gospel and share the gospel, if a person chooses to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe they can. And they choose him as their Savior, they can be born again. Uh, that they're not born unable to be saved. Now, there are those also that teach that only certain ones are going to be saved, and they're going to be saved regardless of whatever else. It doesn't matter anything else. They're going to be saved. I don't agree with that. I believe that you must make a conscious decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and it's your choice because God gave us that choice. Okay? I believe that. So I want you to know where I stand, what I believe, and then we'll, we'll talk about it just for a minute. But I want to share with you a verse of Scripture from Genesis chapter 1. And this is going to kind of be uh, the, the premise that we go by. It kind of helps me to understand what is the purpose of life. But Genesis chapter 1 and verse 28 says this. God blessed them. Now, now, keep in mind, just prior, I guess I should have backed up and started a little further, but, but God said that, that he's going to make man in his image, and he did create man in his image. 
And then verse 28 says, well, let's start at 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. I know we had a sermon on those verses not too long ago, so I won't go back and read that sermon. But verse 28 says this. God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Now then, what is the purpose of life? We could say that was the purpose of man. I believe Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 tells us the purpose of man. That we are to be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over every living thing that creepeth upon the earth. I believe that without a doubt. And anything else that happens in man's life falls within that realm. I believe that. Because that's how God created us, and that was the purpose he gave us in the beginning. Now then, let's talk about some something a little bit different, but yet the same. Uh, he tells us that purpose is to be fruitful and to multiply. And so in, in that passage, God has placed man at the top of the creation order. Do you agree or disagree? Okay. Those of you on Facebook, this is not fun. That's all. This <laughs> one, I never told y'all that before. I don't say uh, the church knows. I won't be able to see you shake your head on Facebook, but at least you'll know that, that you agree or disagree. But God placed man at the top of the creation order. You know, uh, and I, I know I've got a lot of, lot of pet owners and pet lovers and so forth in the congregation, both on Facebook and here. And I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but uh, I think it was Charlotte who was reading something to me the other day. Uh, somebody had posted, you know, one of those things on Facebook that, that you see and somebody reposts and so forth. But someone said this, said that if, if, if abortion applied to animals rather than to babies, it would have been stopped a long time ago. Think about that. Wait that. I know y'all wonder, what does that have to do with the purpose of man? <laughs> Don't know. That rabbit went across my mind, and I had to throw it out there while it did. But, but here's the fact. The fact is that God has created us to be at the top of the creation order. He told us to have dominion over the fish of the sea, the fowl of the air, and every creeping thing that liveth upon the face of the earth. Right? So we're at the top of the creation order. So I want to tell you something. Uh, God put a lot of stock and a lot of faith in man. And I believe he predestined us to have that position and to have that authority. Now, we're going to have to talk a little bit about that authority and kind of, kind of figure out some of the things that, uh, you know, that's, that's important. Uh, we're more important in life. There's nothing more important than, in life than the life of man. Okay? Now, I understand our relationship with Jesus Christ, but I'm talking about in this physical realm, there's nothing more important in this life than the life of man. Now, having said that, I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes, I'm in my selfish mode, and your life doesn't mean as much as mine does. Think about that. I know y'all are thinking I'm a terrible person, right? Because who would ever think that? <laughs> I do. You know how I know I do? When I get angry that somebody pulled out in front of me and makes me slow down, I think I'm, my, my schedule is more important than theirs. When somebody asks me to do something, I think, well, you think I don't have nothing but time. I'm thinking my schedule is more important than theirs. 
You know, and we got a long, long list of things we can go on and on and on with, you know? Uh, so be very careful about what we think and what we say and so forth. But in today's passage that we just read over in the book of Romans, chapter 8, 28, 29, and 30, I believe that God's purpose is, is, is more fully outlined for us than, than what we want to know sometimes. But it's very fully outlined. Verse, the first thing he tells us in that passage is that we are called according to his purpose. So if that be the case, then I believe that my purpose in life is God's purpose. You know what the scripture says? We're called not according to my purpose. Because, see, I spend hours sometimes, man does, we spend hours sometimes trying to figure out, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? What should I be doing? Let me tell you this. And, and a very good friend of mine told me this one time, and it hadn't been too long ago, just a few years ago, and said this, and I thought for a minute, I had a little bit of trouble understanding it, but I caught it pretty quick. Uh, the thing is this, that, that nothing is more important than my relationship with Jesus Christ. And I, I know that, and I knew it all along. But they were going through something really, really tragic in life, and they were trying to figure out how to, how to deal with it. And then this person said, finally, this is what I figured out, that, that I can't deal with the tragedy. I have to deal with my relationship with Christ. And as I find that relationship, I find the tragedy begins to fade back. And as I find my, my place in Christ and what he has for me and what he has for my life, then I recognize that that's a part of it and it's a part of my growth. And I'm thinking, yeah, but that's still right there in the forefront. And they said, yes, it is. But God begins to take the forefront. We begin to put him first. And that's what the scripture tells us all the way through, that we should put our focus on him, that we should place him in the number one position. Nothing is more important than our relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to remember that. It doesn't matter what, what trials, what tribulations, what hurdles that life offers our relationship with Jesus Christ is what gets us through every single one of those. It's what gives us the strength to make it. It's what gives us the strength to survive. You know, and, and even when death comes and when, when that tragedy strikes and it hits, whether it's sudden, whether it's, uh, you know, something that's been coming a long time down the road, you've seen people sick and suffer for quite some time. When it comes, if our relationship with Jesus is what it should be, we can deal with death. Because we understand that death is a part of life, right? It's a part of it. It's a part of God's plan. But we're called according to his purpose, not our purpose. Secondly, we are foreknown by him. What does foreknown mean? Anybody have any idea? He knew us before. <laughs> Y'all thinking I wanted something real special, weren't you? He knew us before. Before what? Before anything, he knew us. Before I was born, the scripture says that before I was formed in my mother's womb, he knew me. Okay? So he knew everything about me. And by the way, where did I get uh, my characteristics? Well, some of them came through my parents, right? Because I watched things they did and I learned things they did. But my DNA came from God. He gave that to me. My, my personality came from God. He gave that to me. And before I was born, he knew what all that was going to be like. And before I ever knew it myself, God knew that he wanted me to preach the gospel. Before I ever knew it myself, God knew that he wanted me to get married. He knew that he wanted me to have four children. And that list goes on and on and on and on. He knew everything about me before I even knew myself. So that's the foreknowledge. But, but also when it says we're foreknown by him, 
It's more than just his ability to see the future and to know what's coming in our future. When we're foreknown by God, it includes God bringing events into our life. You see, he, he knew where I was going to halt a little bit. He knew where I was going to stumble. He knew where I was going to falter. He knew where I was going to be weak. He knew where I was going to have a lapse, if you will, in, in that plan for me. And so he's already planned the events to bring in and, and try to fill in that gap and try to draw me back to him and bring me close to him. He knew that I needed to make some trips on a mission field to understand how important the gospel really is. Guys, I want to tell you, if, if all we ever experience is what we experience at church in our relationship with Jesus Christ, we're starving to death. I don't mean to speak ill of the church, but I'm just going to tell you, you can have the most dynamic, the most powerful, the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Most, most outstanding service in the world and the most outstanding Sunday schools and, and church ministries going on. But I'm telling you, it cannot replace what's happening in the gospel out there and winning souls one-on-one. It cannot replace it. cannot replace it. So everybody needs to experience that. But he knew, and he, it includes bringing events into our life that he has called us to do, to bring us to that place. Thirdly, we are predestined by him. I already mentioned that to you. We are predestined by him. And, and the word predestined is it's set in order. God's order is that we would know Christ, that we would be in the image of Christ, we would be like him. How do I know that? Because he told us in the book of Genesis that he created man in his own image. So God has predestined, in fact, he created us to be in the image of Christ. We have to rebel against God to resist that image is what we do. We resist, we resist, we resist. I'm going to have my way, it's going to be me. It's all about my, 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 me, me, me. And we, we resist God to the hilt. And yet God's plan for us the whole time is to be like Christ. You know, some of the, some of the worst people I can imagine in the world, Hitler was one of them. And I think what a terrible person Hitler had to be for what he wanted to do to uh, the Jews and to the society that they live in and so forth and, and the way he treated them. But do you know God's plan for Hitler was to be in the image of Christ? Think about that. What if, what if, at an early age, Hitler had been introduced to Christ and he received him as his Savior? The world would be a different place, would it not? It would indeed. But everything works in accordance to God's plan and his purpose. Uh, so we're predestined by him. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Now then, I have to tell you one piece of news, just so you'll know. Um, none of us are completely and totally in the image of Christ. None of us. Billy Graham, great evangelist. Uh, Billy Sunday, great evangelist. D.L. Moody, great evangelist. Paul the Apostle, super great evangelist, right? Written most of the New Testament and everything. But he was not in the image of Christ either until he got home to be with the Lord. And then it was complete. Is complete. We will not be completely in the image of Christ until the resurrection takes place and we go home to be with the Lord, whichever comes first. And then we'll be completely conformed to the image of Christ. And being so, uh, we need to understand that while we live here, we walk along that road and we're being transformed. We're being conformed every day. Everything that happens in our life, 
from the, from the lowest point, the lowest moment. And, and I'll guarantee you, we could go round robin around the room and, uh, you know, from the oldest to the youngest, we could share what was the lowest point in our life. And some of us are going to say, I don't really know. Um, to some, it stands out very vividly. You know exactly what the lowest point was. And, and I think about these kids, and I think, you know, they don't know what low is yet, do they really? Uh, they may think they do, and they can share the lowest point in their life. But I can promise you this, from the lowest point in our life, God has never left us. He's always been there. And everything that happens is to bring us to the person that he wants us to be. It's conforming us to the image of Christ. I see, uh, I see things happen sometimes, and I, and I watch people and and some of the experiences they have and some of the reactions that they have and, and uh, you know, and, and sometimes I hear people say, man, I just, you know, I hate to see them go through that and I hate to see them, and, and I do, I hate to see that myself and I hate to see them, you know, turn the direction they're turning and so forth. But guys, here's one thing we have to remember. Continue to pray for them when they're going through those things. Continue to be there to support them because it's growing pains. If I, can, I don't mean to oversimplify, but it's growing pains. If we allow the trials of this life to do what they're supposed to do, they help us to grow in Christ. They point us to Him. Why? Because when I get to my lowest point or when I've been at my lowest point, you couldn't help me. You couldn't help me. Uh, you know, sometimes people call them and they want me to share with them and talk with them. And, I, and, and, and listen, there's a standard, uh, not form, but a standard saying that I have. And I don't mean it to be a, a blanket statement, but it's true. There is no magic formula. You know, whatever, whatever trials going on in your life, uh, Janine mentioned her, her grandchild is in heaven, and I know uh, we were kind of there when we went through all of that, and, and you know, you just in the hospital room with Mandy and Brad, and you just want to say something, want to do something to make it all okay, to make it all better, but there's no magic formula. You know, people are going through other trials and tragedies that they have, and you, you, just, you just want to do something to fix it. I do. I'm a fix-it kind of person. And there is no magic formula. The only thing I can tell you is we have to trust Christ. Focus on your relationship with Christ. And I promise you, you're going to grow through this. And when you come out the other side, you're going to be a stronger person and a better person. There's no doubt, no question about it. So, uh, you know, while we're, while we're going through this life, our, our total confirmation to our conformation to be like Christ won't happen until the resurrection but we're growing steadily transformed along the way being steadily transformed along the way fourthly he justifies us not only does he call us we're foreknown by him we're predestined by him well fourthly he justifies us what does the word justify mean Good will come into effect. <laughs> come on, y'all know what justifying means. What do you think it means? Make right. Make right. Yeah, we are just, he justifies us. He makes us right or makes us innocent. I went to Webster's and, and I found that justify means to make innocent. So I can't make you innocent unless you are innocent, right? Now, attorneys, attorneys have a different job. Had an attorney say this one day, he made this statement. He said, it's none of my business whether a client's guilty or innocent. He said, that's not my business, it's not my job. He said, my job is to defend them in court. And I guess he's right. That's his job. 
Because justification comes when we are, we are made innocent because the evidence says we are innocent. Well, true justification comes through Jesus Christ because I want to tell you something. I am guilty. I am a sinner. I do not deserve heaven. I do not deserve eternal life. I do not deserve the, the justification that he gives me, but he justifies me through salvation, through my relationship with him. When I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, then he sets me free. He wipes the slate clean and set me free. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm relieved of all the consequences of my sins. That's, there's still consequences. <laughs> there's still going to be those people that remember. I'm 61 years old, and I promise you there are still people, a few of them still left around. They remember when I was 19, 11, 12, 15 years old, somewhere in that area, and, and I was not so kind of a person, not so good a person. Not too good now, but <laughs> I was a barrier then. But he justifies us. He cleanses us from all of that past guilt. And, and you know, the world may not forget, but Christ said he would take our sins and put them as far away from us as the east is from the west, never to be remembered anymore. He forgets them. He wipes them away. You know, he justifies us. He makes us sense. So fifthly, and finally, we're going to close here pretty quick, so bear with me just a few more minutes. He glorifies us. How many of you feel like you're glorified? I try not to feel glorified too much. But the scripture teaches us, and then what he said? Whom he did predestinate, then he also called, and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. That's what he said. He glorified. And, and listen, there's this, there's this very profound definition of glorified. I looked it up. I went to Strong's Concordance and looked it up. I went to the Greek glossary of New Testament words and looked it up. I went to Webster's Dictionary and looked it up, and they all agree. This very profound definition of glorified. You know what it is? He makes us full of glory. Now, how in the world does he take a person who is unworthy, unfit, full of sin, and make us full of glory? How does he do that? Because he takes all that stuff away, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, and he gives us the gift of eternal life, and he gives us the ability to, to know that we know that we know that we have salvation. And what is glory after all? I'd say that Jesus is glory, wouldn't you? I'd say that God is glory. Oh, here's one that you'll probably recognize. Sometimes people reference heaven as y'all are sitting on glory. You ever heard anybody say, well, he's done gone up to glory. Let me tell you what they're really saying. He's gone to Jesus. He's gone to God. He's standing with the Father. He's sitting in heaven. That's where he's at. Isn't that awesome? He glorifies us. He makes us full of glory because he allows his Holy Spirit to come and live within us. And that Holy Spirit becomes our guide and our judge and our conscience and leads us through our daily lives. So he, he not only calls us, he not only knew us even before we knew ourselves, he predestined us to be like him. And he knew exactly what it was going to take to get my warped, twisted, demented mind back to a place where I could see Jesus and that I could follow him. 
And he justified me in that he saved me. Jesus died on the cross to pay the sin debt that I owe so that I could be justified. And then he loves me enough and thinks enough of me that he gives me his son. You know, God gave me his son. And then Jesus gives me the Holy Spirit to live within me. Our purpose, and I tried to sum this all up in a statement. It got to be really long. But our purpose in life is to be fruitful and multiply. And I want you to think about that just for a minute. That's what it said in Genesis, right? Well, I need you to tell me. I need interaction here for just a moment. What does it mean when you read that passage? What does it say to you to be fruitful and multiply? Anybody? Get married, Get married and have children. Will we all agree that that's kind of what it says to us? Pretty much. Okay, so if he said be fruitful and multiply, then he makes another statement that says he wants us to replenish the earth. What does that mean? Same thing. <laughs> okay. Mucho multiplication. That's <laughs> what we would say. I was somewhere there in the morning, and I know very few Spanish words, but I saw some uh, some Hispanic guys on the job, and they were fixing to start digging the footing. And I, I walked past some guy putting on his coat, and I said, Frio, and he said, Mucho. <laughs> and I said, yeah, okay. I'm still walking around in short sleeves, and he's Mucho Frio, which means he's very cold. But guys, listen. When he says that we are to be fruitful and multiply, yes, I believe in Genesis he's saying that we should be married and have children, that we should replenish the earth, fill it with children, so on and so forth, to keep going the creation that he has created, right? But let me tell you this, let's think about it in a spiritual realm. What does it mean? Would it mean to share the gospel? To preach the word, to teach the word, to tell our children about Jesus, to raise them up in a way that they know that Christ is real, that God is, is, is real, and that, that the Holy Spirit comes to live within us? Absolutely. So that's our, our purpose, is to carry on the gospel. Our purpose is to, to carry the word of God before it is to do anything else. We are to subdue the earth. And I want to tell you something. We have failed miserably in subduing the earth. Christians have. Anybody, almost anybody anywhere in the world will tell you that, yeah, man stood at the top of the creation order. But that's not really true because there are some people that would, that would you know, rather, as I said earlier, I, you know, I don't mean please don't anybody think I'm picking on you about your pets because I know they're very important to you. But there are those who believe it's more important to save the animals than it is to save the babies. That's just wrong. That's wrong. We've got, we've got confused. We've got out of the order. Okay? So if we're going to bring the world into subjection, let's talk about that just for a second. To overcome, and, and the word subjection is to subdue the earth. And, and look up subdue, and it means to bring into subjection. And it also means this. Here's the second meaning of subdue. To overcome as by persuasion or training. If we're going to subdue the earth, we're going to have to overcome. Let me tell you this. Those who believe, receive, and trust Christ should be in the majority, not in the minority. For way too long, the church has sat down and, and we've said, well, you know, we don't want confrontation with the world. We're not going to fight with them about it and so on and so forth. And, you know, but listen, God wants us to stand and to stand firm and to stand strong. 
This is not a political sermon. It's not a sermon about vote for this person, not for that person. It's not a sermon about vote for this issue, not that issue, or this issue, not that issue. This is a sermon about standing firm for Jesus Christ, standing in your faith. You ever been in one of those situations where uh, you felt like, man, I'm in a place where I shouldn't be. I feel like I'm the only believer in this in this room or in this place, and you know, and, and it's just really hard to to exemplify your faith. And, and people are saying and doing all kinds of things, and you're thinking, boy, 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 I'm in the minority here. And finally, you muster up enough courage to say something. And then there's several people that say, "Oh yeah, I'm a believer," but these are the same people that a few minutes ago were saying everything under the sun. And they were doing every kind of thing under the sun. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm saying. There's something wrong with that. Guys, when, when there's no difference between the church and the world, we cannot subdue the world. There has to be a difference. And that difference has to be Jesus. That difference has to be the exemplification or the exemplifying of our faith. People have to see that we, we really practice what we believe, that we live the life that we say that we want to live and we should live. Our calling is not our own. Our calling is according to His purpose. To His purpose and not ours. According to His purpose and not ours. Why would it be? Because He knows us from the inside out. He knew us before we knew ourselves. So we are predestined and that is we are all called to be believers. As we are all Believers, we are, we are predestined to be like Jesus. All believers are predestined to be like Christ. Unbelievers are predestined to be like him too, but they haven't made the choice to receive him and become that way. He justifies us through salvation. He glorifies us because we are his children striving to be like him. He gives us a Holy Spirit that comes and lives within us, and that Holy Spirit is our daily guide. Guys, uh, again, and I've asked you this question several, several times, but I want you to think about this, is uh, if you were on trial today, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? If you're on trial before judge and jury, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a Christian? If not, something's wrong. Nothing wrong. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying maybe we need to begin to let that light shine. Let it show through us and, and allow the Holy Spirit just to move and work in an open way rather than such a closed fashion. Most believers, most believers, and I'm including myself because uh, there are times I feel this way. Most of us are very comfortable with living our Christian life. We go to church on Sunday and we, we read our Bible, we pray, we, we don't mind praying for people. We're very comfortable most of the time when somebody's going through a trial. We're very comfortable saying to them, I will be praying for you. When we visit with a friend or a family or even somebody we don't know that's just experienced a great loss, we don't have any trouble telling them I'll pray for you. But do we really pray for them? And if I'm praying for them, is my prayer going anywhere? You say, I'm a firm believer. My relationship with Christ is not right. The prayer he wants to hear from me is, Lord, forgive me because I've sinned against you. That's what he's listening for from me. If I'm not 
living the life I should be living. But do we, do we really let our light shine before others? Uh, you know, this is a, it's a very common, very good statement. You hear people say this, and, and uh, I was somewhere the other day, and someone was referencing, uh, you know, somebody that I knew very well, or had known very well, that passed on that, go on to the Lord, and said, that was a good person. He really was a man. That's a really, really good man. He was a good man. And, you know, when, when I hear that, my mind goes to this verse of Scripture that says, there's none good, no, not one. So immediately my comment was they were a very good Christian man. Said, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They were very religious. Mm. <laughs> he wasn't religious. He was a Christian. There's a difference. There's a difference. You can be religious about a whole lot of things. Okay? And but you don't be a Christian through Jesus Christ. I believe that without a doubt. So, is there enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? What's the What's the eulogy going to be? He was a good man. She was a good woman. Or is it going to be? That's a person who loved the Lord. Who loved the Lord. Who loved the Lord. I still remember that young lady's testimony in Russia when we were there that time. We were in Moscow and Moscow. Everyone said they were having a folk shore a folk. Music show in you know, one of the auditoriums there. We were out in the hall, they had church. And the lady who was the usher at the door came over and sat with us a little while because somebody came to relieve her for a break. And she came to sit with us for a little while and she just cried and wept and cried and wept. And she said, I remember as a little girl, my grandmother sang songs to me about Jesus. And she read scripture to me about Jesus. She said, My grandmother always told me that I needed to know Jesus. And she said, I've always wanted to know Jesus. Tell me about Jesus. That was a grandmother's legacy of being a Christian. She didn't say my grandmother was a good woman. My grandmother was a woman that told me about Jesus. That's what I like people to remember about me. I have a privilege. I have a rather. Guys, listen. More important than whether or not we're good people, I, I tend to believe that folks are devout and let their faith shine the way that it should. You know, we're going to be, I don't want to use that word good, but we'll be decent people. <laughs> Let your light shine before men so that they can see Christ. That they can see Christ. We're going to have a time of invitation. And I pray this morning you just be obedient to the Holy Spirit and just let God have his way in your life. Whatever it is, whether that be for you. You just be obedient to him today. And uh, I'm going to lead us in a, in a song of invitation as they do. I want you to